It starts out well, ends well. Maybe you've had that experience before. Not every life that starts out well ends well. And maybe you have also seen that as it was being lived out in the lives of others. This morning we began our contemplation of the Word of God with a reading from First, uh, Second Chronicles chapter 26, an excellent reading, I might say, of uh, that text. Thank you very much. Uh, King Isaiah, when he was 16 years old, his life started out well. And I'm telling you, the Lord commended him over and over again. One accomplishment after another. He was faithful to God. The kingdom expanded. The army was strengthened. They were weaponized with all of the, uh, all of the tools and the instruments of the day. The economy was booming. Uh, the people were drawing near to God. His life started out so well. But then Uzziah, at the end of his life, started second-guessing God about what God had said, about whether or not he really meant it, about whether or not those rules applied to him. And he did the unthinkable thing. Not being a priest, he presumed for himself the authority to go into the holy place of God, to offer incense to God. And when Azariah and the other 80 priests confronted him, he railed against them, and immediately his skin was covered with leprosy. And at the end of his life, one of the greatest kings, having a reign for more than 50 years, at the end of his life, The people did not say, wow, that Uzziah, he was a king. He was one of the great... What they said was, Uzziah, he was a leper. A good start doesn't guarantee a good ending. You, you see that in life in, in other ways. You see, you see parents who are convinced they have a child prodigy. You know, they, they, they have the next greatest athlete in the world. He's five years old, he's in peewee ball, and it's obvious he's going to the top. Because he got a trophy at the end of his, of the end of his season, proudly displayed, in his parents' home, and unfortunately, a child who is excelling when he's 5 or 15 is not necessarily excelling when he's 25 or 30. There's that that incredible romance and the fairy tale wedding and everything is just so perfect. It's a fairy tale wedding, a dream wedding, followed by a lousy marriage and a nightmare of a life. 
I, I say that not to be Debbie Downer this morning, but just to say, God warns us about presuming on life and presuming on God. And, and so the writer of Hebrews was constantly warning the early Christians, therefore, in chapter 4 and verse 1, therefore, while the promise of entering His rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we, have belie- for we who have believed enter the rest. As he has said, As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all of his works. And again in this passage he said, They shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long afterward, and the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested with him from his works as God did from his. Let us, therefore, strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Listen, those warnings are in there for a reason. Chapter 4 and verse 1 begins this way, Therefore, And you know, when you see the word therefore, you always want to stop and consider what it is there for. It's referring to something he just said. And if you go back in the previous verses, he was quoting from Psalm 95, verses, uh, in verses 7 through 11. He's quoting from Psalm 95, verses 7 through 11. And he said, As the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness when your fathers put me to the test and I saw my works for 40 years. Therefore I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways as I swear in my wrath. They shall not enter my rest. Chapter 3 and verse 12. Take care, my brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leaving you to fall away from the living God. If you underline things in your Bible, there are three things I want you to note here in this context. In chapter 3 and verse 12, the warning. Take care. Be careful. Lest you fall away from the living God. Chapter 4 and verse 1. Therefore, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Chapter 4 and verse 11. Therefore, let us strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. What is he doing? The writer of Hebrews is quoting from Psalm 95, verses 7 through 11. And he's quoting from Psalm 95, where the psalmist is referring to the situation back 
in about 1445 B.C. when the children of Israel are coming out of Egypt and they have crossed the Red Sea and they have come into the Sinai wilderness and God has given them the law and they're making their journey through the wilderness and God tells them to send out these 12 spies into the land to check out the land. And, and I want you to note something. God sent the spies to check out the land. Instead, 10 of the spies went and came back, and we find out they were not just checking out the land, but they were checking out God's plan. They were focusing on the wrong thing. They were not just taking a look at the land to see what it is that they were about to inherit. They were trying to decide whether or not God had this thing right. Whether or not they could really take this land. Whether or not God was telling them the truth. Ten spies, second-guessing God. God said, I am giving you this land. And they said, hey, 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 we've checked it out now. God, with, with all of his good intentions, uh, we, we can't take this land. And God said, your bodies are going to rot in this wilderness. You will not taste one grape, this growing of the vineyards. Of this land. You see, because in the mind of God, disbelief and disobedience go hand in hand. You can't separate those two things. The, the Israelites were in trouble, not, not because they didn't understand how God was going to give them the land. They were in trouble because they were saying to God, we don't trust you to give us the land. And so in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 12, chapter 4 and verse 1, chapter 4 and verse 11, the writer of Hebrews is not issuing an empty threat, but a real danger. This is not a hypothetical thing. When people begin to second guess God, they are on the verge of terrible disobedience to God. I'll tell you what second guessing God will do. It will make you go into the temple and offer incense to God. We find ourselves second guessing God when, when we determine in our own human minds that God's way won't work. You remember Psalm 73? We studied this the other night in class. Psalm 73, the psalmist said, I know, I know, the, the Lord is good, and, and he, he looks out for his people. I know that's true, but I want to tell you, my experience was this. As for me, my feet had almost slipped. I almost lost my faith. Because I looked around me, and I saw the wicked, and they were prospering, and, and they were living well. And, and they were healthy and strong and beautiful. And, and they were wicked people. And then I looked at myself, and here, here I am. I, I believe in God. 
I, I worship God. I'm trying to do what is right. I'm trying to raise my children to do what is right. And it seems like every way I turn, it's just one problem after another, after another. It, it, seems, like, it, it seems like there is no reward in seeking righteousness. It seems like, even though God said that we would be blessed for serving it, it seems like God's way just doesn't work for me. I remember a phone call several years ago from someone very close to me who said it almost exactly in those words. I know, I, I know what you believe. I know what we've always believed. I, 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 know, I, I know what you're probably going to say, but I want to tell you something. I tried that, and it just doesn't work for me. Tell you something, when, when we decide that God's way won't work, we're on the verge of making some very bad decisions. You remember in Genesis chapter 16, after God has promised to Abraham and Sarah that you are going to have a child and from this child are going to come many descendants and through your seed all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed and Sarah just couldn't figure out how they were going to have a baby. God had promised that, but you know... And she began second-guessing God's promise. I just don't see how this can work. Let me remind you of something, ladies and gentlemen. When God speaks, His way is right. God doesn't make mistakes. And if God says, if God says to a woman who is past the childbearing years, if God says to her, you're going to have a baby, I'll tell you what she ought to do. She ought to, she ought to go and start decorating the nursery. She's going to have a baby. Because God doesn't make mistakes. And He doesn't waste His breath. It's a dangerous thing to second-guess God and decide, well, I, I know he meant well, I, I know he made the promise in good faith, but I, I'm just telling you, it, this, this won't work. It just won't work. When we think God's way is illogical, we're on the verge of making some huge mistakes and disobedience. In Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, God was saying to His people who had at times completely lost faith in Him, they, they were dabbling in idolatry, they were toying with the enemies, they, they were uh, involved in all kinds of uh, ungodliness and immorality that God had forbade His people, and they just weren't sure that God's way was the right way or that God's way was the only way. And they really weren't sure about all of God's ways, just to tell you the truth. And God said, I, I want you to know something. My thoughts are not your thoughts. And, and if you're saying to me, well, you know, I've thought about this and, hey, my thoughts are not your thoughts. No matter how much you've thought about this. 
Neither are my ways your way. I just wouldn't do That just doesn't make any sense to me. Just totally illogical. What about when Jesus told Peter? Hey, if Peter says, hey, if you're the Lord, bid me come to you. Jesus said, step out, big boy. Come on. Is that logical? When they were fishing and they had fished all night. And Jesus comes upon them. And he said, hey, how was the fishing? And they said, hey, we're done. We, we have fished all night. We are worn out. We didn't catch anything. Jesus said, why don't you cast your nets on the other side of the boat? <laughs> and Peter said, Lord, you're the carpenter. We're, we're, we're the fishermen here, you know. We're the fishermen. We know what we're doing. It's not our first time. We, we have fished all night long, and we haven't taken any. But at your bidding, just because you said to do it, we'll do it. And you remember, they could scarcely bring the nets into the boat for the catch of fish that they had. And so the writer of Proverbs reminds us in his wisdom from long ago, look, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. You need to draw a circle around that word all. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And do not forget the second part of that verse. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean to your own understanding. I'll tell you something that plagues our generation. We're a little bit full of ourselves with our ego and our confidence in our knowledge, in our intellect, in our wisdom. We've placed a lot of trust in how much we know. We, we, we suffer and struggle with a lot of chronological snobbery as we look back on those who have lived before us, back in those dark ages when, when they didn't know very much. Yeah. And a long time ago, a long time ago, they knew this. Don't trust in yourself. Don't place too much confidence in your own thinking. There is a way that seems right... To a man. But the end thereof is, is the way of death. I, that is a dangerous road to start down. But when God has said something and, and we find ourselves, but, but it seems to me, really? Obedience to God is not about what makes sense to me. If I obey God, in everything that God has said, 
that I agree with, that God and I see it the same way, that's not obedience. That's just doing what I think is right. Obedience to God is not just doing what makes sense to me. Obedience to God is doing something because God said do it. And and that expression, even though you did not like it when your parents said that to you, because I said so, I want to tell you, it's one of the most important principles of authority that a parent can teach a child. This is how authority works. This is what is right and this is what you do because I, the authority, said so. And I'll remind you of something this morning. God is not a consultant, folks. He's the boss. There's a difference. You hire a consultant to come in and and take a look at what you're doing, take a look at your company, take a look at the operation, take a look at your organization, make some suggestions to you, and he turns in a 150 pages of report to you with ideas and suggestions and changes that would be helpful. It's up to you. He's a consultant. You paid him. You got the advice. Now you can decide, yeah, that's good, that's good. No. No, I'm not doing that. No, we're not doing that. That's not God. God's not the consultant. He's the boss. He's the authority. And it makes a difference. We find ourselves in trouble. Second-guessing God. When, When somehow... We're in a situation where we really want to do something and we're afraid we're missing out on something. Something that's good, something that's profitable, something that is really beneficial for us in this moment. And we think God is holding out on us in some way. That's exactly what Satan was saying to Eve. Did God tell you not to eat of any tree of the garden? No, he told us not to eat of this tree, neither touch it lest we die. And Satan said, oh, you're not going to die. God just told you that. He's holding out on you. He knows if you eat the fruit of that tree, you're going to be like him. You're going to be like God. You're going to know good and evil. He doesn't want you to have that. That's something you should desire. This knowledge, this understanding, you should desire that. God's holding out on you. He's withholding something that's really good. You should have it. She believed it. So did her husband. They made a mess. I remember a good friend of mine sitting in my office right in front of me one day. In about a three-hour intense conversation, when he was explaining to me why he was leaving his wife, his children, and why he was going to marry the woman that he had fallen in love with. And one of the principles he came back to over and over again, I just cannot believe 
that God would want me to stay in this situation where I am so miserable and unhappy for the rest of my life and, and, and instead of letting me have the love and the joy and, and the companionship that I finally found in my life and his, his principle, this is so good, this is so wonderful, this is the best thing that has ever come my way and God is withholding from me something that is so good. I just cannot accept the God like that. I want to tell you something. You begin to second guess God like that, you're going to make some terrible decisions in your life. Israel, the nation, came to Samuel and they said, we want a king. Everybody else has a king. Why didn't God give us a king? We want a king. No, we don't get a king like everybody else has. It would be great if we had our own king. It, like God has done them some disservice because they didn't get to have a king. Jesus said, you know, you ask your father for bread, is he going to give you a stone? Is he going to give you a serpent? What about your heavenly father? You think he's holding out on you? Something that you need? Something that is good? Something that is profitable? In Romans chapter 8, the apostle Paul said, look, the God who has given us His Son, Jesus Christ, what is He going to withhold from us that we need? If God is for us, who can be against us? There is nothing. After He gave us His own Son, there is nothing He would withhold from us. Let me tell you something, folks. When we begin to convince ourselves that our situation is different, we're on the verge of making some bad decisions. In 2 Chronicles chapter 26, that's exactly where King Uzziah was. He thought he was a special case. I mean, look at all the years of service. Like, okay, yes, there was a law in the Pentateuch written by Moses. I, that law was hundreds of years old. Times have changed. King Uzziah had served faithfully. He wasn't just anybody. He was a special case. And he made a mess. Because he thought he was special and different. Leviticus chapter 10. The sons of Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, they found out God doesn't make exceptions. And it doesn't matter who your daddy is. No special case. No respect of persons. Right is right and wrong is wrong. And the Apostle Peter found out from the mouth of the Apostle Paul in front of everybody that even when Judaizing teachers show up and they are threatening you and intimidating you, it doesn't change the rules. Regarding obedience, nobody's special. Nobody's the exception to the rule. Right is right and wrong is wrong. And finally, let me say to you, we need to be careful about second-guessing God. In those moments when we're suffering from spiritual amnesia, and I mean by that, in those moments when we are forgetting 
what God has already done for us. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 10 through 12, there is a theme that is stated there that is repeated over and over in the book of Deuteronomy where God is saying to his people, remember me, don't forget this, remember who brought you out of Egypt, remember who took care of you in the wilderness, remember who fed you with the manna, remember who delivered you from the Egyptians, remember who gave you a land that you did not take for yourself. Remember who gave you vineyards to eat from that you did not plant. Remember who gave you the houses to live in that you did not build. Why is God saying to them, remember, remember, don't forget. Why is he saying that? Because it's easy to forget. And it is especially easy to forget when we are hurting. Because pain has this unique quality to it that causes us, demands of us, our immediate and undivided attention. Pain. And God said, when you're hurting, don't forget your blessings. Because if you start forgetting how I have blessed you over and over and over again, if you forget yesterday's blessings, in the context of today's crisis, it's going to lead you to some bad decisions. Don't forget who I am. And don't forget what I've done. And don't forget our relationship. Don't start second-guessing God. Especially when we have started out so well. The writer of Hebrews had a real objective in what he was writing to the people. And he said, more than anything else, folks, you've tasted the riches of the goodness of Christ. Please, please don't miss heaven now. Don't stop now. Don't give up now. Don't second guess God now. You've come so far, you walked with him. All of this journey. I fought a good fight. I finished the course. I have kept the faith, Paul said. And the writer of Hebrews said, I want every one of you to say that. So that you can enter in into his rest. If you're here this morning and not a Christian, what a wonderful time for you to plant your feet firmly on the promises of God and to devote your life in trusting obedience to Him. If you've never confessed Christ as the Son of God and put on the Lord in baptism, you can do that this morning. And if you are a child of God who needs to come home to the Lord, we bid you come while we stand and sing.